Welcome to NIL Undressed. I'm your host, Ryan Schachner, and we're sitting here with Dr. Cheney Robinson. Hello, hello. Today we have it. I mean, how do I put this? He's a stud, right? We have Patrick Scott. Uh, he, out of high school, he headed to Stanford to play football, then returned uh, to Florida A&M University where he, I mean, he dominated on the field, right? I mean, he's a, he's a legend at Florida A&M. Um, he had a shot with the Arizona Cardinals, played in Arena League, Canadian Football League. And then he said, you know what? I, I need, there's something more to what I want to accomplish, right? I've got to make my own mark on the world. He got into the wealth management business and has built one of the premier wealth management firms in the United States. He works with athletes, doctors, business owners, and quite frankly, him and his team work with everyone else, right? And just like we like to simplify things, he likes to simplify things, right? So we there's a lot of alignment um, between Patrick and and us. And you know he's growing his team; he's incredible. Outside of all of that, he's an entrepreneur, community leader. He's continuing his education. Like I said, he's a stud. Patrick, welcome to NIL Undressed. Thank you so much for having me. It's so, such an awesome privilege and honor to be here with both of you today. Thank you so much. Glad to have you. We, I mean, we, we always start off with some rapid fire questions, right? Yeah. Uh, just to kind of loosen the mood and get us going here. So your favorite restaurant in Tallahassee and what's your go-to menu item? Oh man, this hurts. I got like restaurant owner clients, and I don't want someone to be like, "Oh, you left us out." <laughs> <laughs> My favorite restaurant in Tallahassee, I would say, is uh, Las Brazas. Uh, so genuine Mexican um, restaurant right across the street from the office. I think that's what makes it my favorite. Is because it's close and accessible. Uh, and then my favorite uh, menu meal off the menu is the shrimp adobe. It's amazing. Um, can't go wrong. So if anyone's ever visited Tallahassee or whatever, like, God, Channing, here you down in the South Georgia area. Um, that's where, that's where we're going. <laughs> that's where we're going. All right. So which, you know, which do you follow closer, college or pro football and why? Um, man, I would have to launching a firm. I'm probably a little bit more detached from both. Um, however, when I'm leaning in, it is definitely pro. Um, and the reason why, and I think a lot of people can appreciate this, is for me, once you get to the pro level, people say it's not as exciting. Really, what I just say is it's not as um, mistake-driven, because at that time, you've already been through college, 18 and 21, 22, you've gotten the jitters out, and now you become a, a true you know, professional at your craft versus someone trying to figure out your craft. Yeah. And so I'm sure I watched the game from like an art standpoint. And so I, I enjoy the art more at the NFL level. However, I very much so do enjoy the excitement at the college level. However, that excitement can also be the mistakes that can happen that can lead to big plays that people love. Yeah. Um, so not the down college football, because, man, you love the energy. Man, it's not like watching you know, the paintbrush go to work on an NFL, on an NFL field. Nice. So you've, you've played athletically at a very high level. Now you're in the business world and you're – you're at a high level there too. What is it? What's your go-to unwind and and escape way to un, unwind and escape the daily grind? Oh, man, um, I think 
that really boils down to me, um, I'm going to say like a level of self-awareness. That sounds different because people have like an unwinding. That's like an activity. And what I say to the self-awareness is I think work can be daunting when we say work. But if we reframe work, it has such a beautiful connotation. Um, it could be internal work. It could be external work, the work to grow self. And so I look at even myself and my professional world, not as a daunting thing that I, got, I have to do. It is such a beautiful thing that I get to do to show up and hear people's stories, guide them from point A to point B. Like that actually charges me. Yeah. Um, so if some people need to get away from their work, I like love it. And it actually allows me to go home, you know, to be a better fiance and a better son of my own mother because I'm really coming back in great energy. So I would say that's really how I really reflect on how blessed I am to get to do what I do. And if I had to just say there's an activity outside of that that grounds me is working out. Um, I start my day 4.30 every morning. Um, I'm in the gym by 5.30 um, every morning. And once I tackle that, the day is kind of downhill because my mind, the psychological income is, man, who's just getting up at this time to go work out? And so once I've kind of pushed myself there, man, the rest of the day is like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That, that's my grounding is that 4.30 wake up. I saw something the other day, Kobe Bryant. He talked about getting up at, and I think it was, he was he was up early three working working out three to five, right? right? And then he he un, he unwinds, he he re, he recovers, he rehydrates, and then he's doing it again nine to nine to eleven. You know, then he takes some time to to recover and, and rehydrate and and re-energize, and then he does again three to five, right? You know, so it's it for him again. It was like like what you're saying. You get up early, you get it done, and you're and you're energized, ready ready to attack the day because you've already accomplished something that's that most folks aren't won't ever do. Man, that that's that's it. And for Kobe, I was a different animal because um, I know exactly what he like the way he chunked his day. He literally set it up in such a way where he could still be present with his kids. That's why his workout times were not, not around taking him to school or the pickup, right? That, that's amazing. Most people will use that yeah. as an excuse not to, but because he had control of his day, he made it so he couldn't be there. And then he got to sleep kind of alone away. So he never really liked to slept eight hours. He just like had his day in increments. Yeah. And that's the reason he performed like a robot, you know? And, and it's, it's awesome to see the work translate on the court or the field of life or business. Yes, sir. So outside of football, what's your favorite sport and why? Man, I'm getting so much of the game. I had to think about that. Uh, baseball. Um, baseball was actually probably my first love. Um, whereas I played football, I had a football in my hands very early. We couldn't do tackle until about sixth grade. So I didn't enjoy flag football. Believe it or not, the D-tackle was the quarterback of the flag football team. Um, I just got bigger, and that didn't happen no more. Um, but, man, it was nothing like stepping up to a plate and watching everybody back up to a fence. Yeah. Knew I was about to smack the hell out of the ball. And so if you think <laughs> about it, you know, my, my, my combine, I mean, my pro day times, you know, at 309 pounds, I ran a 489. So if you could imagine me baller or as a child i was moving but i was still bigger so it was it was it was amazing to be kind of like that dynamic of an athlete that could scare people at the plate who still could steal bases um you know faster than a lot of the smaller guys there 
uh, and then have the arm that could throw somebody out from left field. I mean, to me, like that was amazing. It's just that when I got to high school, I found it to be very political and time consuming. Um, and I'm like, man, I can just go on the football field and do my thing and I don't got to deal with this. I'm choosing the football field. And so my high school is really known as a football powerhouse, Lincoln High School in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, so for that, it was an easy decision to just go with football. But baseball was really my first love. Very cool. So I want to break this really into two, uh, targeting two groups, right? So I want to hit the, you know, the athletes and developing and, and what they do after their time in competitive athletics, right? But before we get there, I want to hit some NIL and, and some advice for these high school athletes, right? So you, you went to Stanford, right? The big uh, power five, and then you went to Florida A&M and this was before NIL was a thing. So, but now it's a thing, right? And this is a part of the equation as these kids are, are narrowing down their search for, for schools and all that kind of stuff. So, what were your top three schools as you were coming out of high school? And what was the criteria that you were looking at to, you know, make help make the decision on where you were going to go? Man, um, thank you for that. So we can share this with the audience. Um, my top three schools ended up boiling down mainly to uh, Stanford University. Iowa Hawkeyes, and then a sleeper hometown that my brother BJ Daniels went to um, was South Florida, um, just because of our relationship. And I would say to that we had, of course, naturally more offers than that. But as I started thinking about what made the sense, made the most sense given the time, um, the criteria also really boiled down to just like education. Um, academics, my ability to go somewhere and to build a strong network. Um, and so it really made those schools kind of stand out. Uh, I would have Kirk Ferentz at the time and being completely straightforward and honest. And man, at the age of 17, while I have no regrets in life, because I would not be who I am without every decision, every mistake and every outcome, every experience, I would tell my 17-year-old self to go to Iowa. Um, I was just was a school that came on very late with me. Um, a lot of Big Ten schools came on because I had committed very early to a Big Ten school in my junior year. And but when it came on, though, they came on very strong. And I could tell how genuine Kirk Ferentz was. Um, it's just that in my mind, my family, we've never been through the recruiting process. Um, everyone's nerds like myself. Um, you know, so dentists, educators. I was the first athlete. So I was really a pioneer in the space we didn't have. And so naturally, you know, everyone's talking about choose a school, don't choose a coach. But the truth of the matter is you really got to think about that because your coach becomes like your father away from home. Yeah. And so the thing about Kurt, you know, if I go back to that three, not naming any names, the head coaches of the other schools would all talk about each other. Oh, they're going to leave and they're going to be going and all this is going to happen. Kurt never talked about anybody. Um, he only focused on the program of Iowa and Hawkeye football. Um, then with that, I'll never forget, unfortunately, my dad couldn't make that trip because, again, it was just a late official that I took. Um, 
while I was there, I never get now in the hallways of like their room where like you know Bob sent got um Bob get Bob's name the same thing of superstar center. Um, all these other different individuals like the nice hallway with all the hall like hall of college hall of fame you know trophies and things like that. And he was like, on this trip, I just got to make it known my number one guy here is Patrick Scott. Now thinking back on that. For a coach to say that in front of other pants and players says to you how he feels about you. Yeah. yeah. And my dad wasn't there, no. I think if he'd have been there and heard that right away, he'd have been like, yo, you're coming here. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be heard, a hot guy. <laughs> yeah, you're a hot guy. I heard it at 17. I didn't turn 18 yet, right? I'm on a trip by myself. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's dope. But I didn't think about how much that meant. I think us as adults, we can appreciate that now. But when you're 17, you got all this coming out that you don't really know. And, and I just took my trip to Stanford and I met, you know, my friend, Michael Thomas, who still plays with the Bengals today. And the relationships we built were just so strong. That's really what kind of got me to Stanford, that and the school itself. Whereas the hearing that should have been a thing to me to be like, yo, this guy wants me. Um, and even though they didn't have the academics of Stanford, you know, they had a great medical and dental school program, which is something that stood out for my, my family. And so, man, that would be the thing I would just say. I would even give advice or wisdom around. My criteria came down to choosing really the academic, you know, level and network and also um, the school name itself, the school itself, whereas it should have really came down to who's going to be my coach. Because your coach is going to be your father away from home for the next four years. And if you got a bad relationship with your dad, it's not going to be too good. Yeah. Um, so if that was somebody who just sold you to get you there, it's not going to be the greatest. Yeah, they may have saw the potential you as a player, but they see you as a man. That's a big difference. Kirk, I always say, saw me as a man, even somewhere before I left. You know, him and his strength coach, Matt Dole, who's one of the top strength coaches at the time, saying, man, Pat, you're my guy. I need you. Like, yeah, I never forget. You know, I went home. He was in the house as late as he could possibly be, <laughs> probably past midnight. Man, you know, I'm just, I just, man, I just wish, you know, that was something that my 17 year old self should have known. And so, regrets, no, but my criteria was off. Um, I think it should be, hey, think about your coach. Who's going to be the guy leading you? Can you see yourself with this person for the next four years, growing and developing? Will they put you in the best position to win in life, or just for to win for them and put their record books as high as possible? Um, from there, then you start thinking about the school, the brand, um, and the network you can really generate from there. So I think that is powerful to think through and then let network be very high because I would say my network from Stanford, my friends, you know, the Eternals, two of my buddies, we've been close ever since. I mean, what we've been doing as business owners and entrepreneurs from the ages of 28 on is insane. So it's like, Man, do I regret that network and having it in the relations we built? Absolutely not. And neither do they. So coach first, but really weigh that by the network, I would say, from there, how do you choose a school over the coach? Yeah. So I want to throw a wrinkle in that, right? Because, you know, when you, you know, you went there and I, you know, maybe we it's just hyped more, right? We there's social media is 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 more um, and so we see coaches leaving more often right sure. so i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you um yeah. we have coaches that are that are leaving more often plus now we have nil right so that's great advice but but how now do you balance that the coaches leaving and then you throw the nil piece into the equation 
we want to thank our sponsor, Success Beyond Game Day. For many athletes, the last safe place was the locker room. They could be themselves and not be judged. Success Beyond Game Day creates a locker room community for athlete development. Partnering with individual athletes, high schools, athletic departments, college and pro teams on building their brands, understanding name, image, and likeness, how to get deals, and personal finance, all while leveraging a proprietary assessment that identifies core skills that athletes can leverage to create a competitive advantage, all while creating an environment where athletes can connect to push each other to greatness. Check it out at www.successbeyondgameday.com. And the transfer portal. Bingo. And that's, that's what I was about to come back to, right? So I wish when I came out, like, so for example, <laughs> a lot of my friends were like, we're so jealous of these guys today. They got a transfer portal. You know, no matter what happened, we kind of had to stick it out. They can go, right? You know, Back then, if I would have went from FBS to FBS, I got to sit out a year. They don't have that restriction yeah. anymore. So yeah. like you said, it is, it is such a different ball game to really consider, and it does make it interesting. And so now that's why, again, I said network is so crucial because really it brings us back to if we look from 2008 recruiting to now 2023 and the previous years prior, you're right, they have different elements to consider. And so really, Ron, like you said, we're definitely actually on the same page because, see, back then, for me, my network was the NIL, right? Who are you connecting with to now build from out of that? And so my greatest piece of advice from a criteria standpoint to any parents or students listening is to not view yourself as an athlete, but to view yourself as an entrepreneur and investor. Yeah, right? that's phenomenal. The yeah. greatest college athletes I've seen, right, who've done it right, they built great connections with the board of trustees and boosters and things like that. And so even if the NFL didn't work out, man, they could come back, have a great job, or they started a business, they had great connections to now leverage and they remember how good of a kid they were. The reason this is powerful to remember is watch how you behave on campus, right? I, one thing I'm very thankful for is my parents are still to me how I carry myself. And one reason we've been able to grow this firm so quickly is the adults who saw me grow up respected how I carried myself. So now when I'm calling to meet and to talk, they're like, absolutely. I remember you when you were 17, 18, 19, 20. And so if someone can view themselves now, the earlier, the better as an entrepreneur and investor, understanding that their brand represents them in their future, they would take and make decisions today that would not harm them, which I think the three of us have seen too many people not honor who they are. They destroy their brand. And now it hurts their entrepreneur opportunities later. So I think that's one of the biggest things that was underlining to college 08 recruiting to 23 is realize who you are. So now you can leverage the NIO better for yourself. Find something that's going to be aligned with you, your family, what you're looking to create so you can create the best wins for you. Absolutely. But like you said, if coaches jump ship because the landscape is different, man, we've seen it with Oklahoma. You're going to see different places. you got the transfer report. <laughs> that's right. Yep. So that's a perfect segue because, you know, I, I was recently, I read this study that said um, it was, you know, I think it was like 11 or 12 companies that were studied and it was a total of 48,000 or 49,000 hours of work. So that's like, 
multiple years worth of work, which was studied, right? And they said that um, if you sat within 25 feet of a top performer, your skills, all that being the same, right? You, your performance increased by 15%. And if you sit within 25 feet of a poor performer, your performance decreased by 30%, right? And so, so taking what you said, it was brilliant advice, right? Because it's, you know, it for, from day one, when you're a teenager growing up, people are going to remember who you are, who you associate with. But but let's take that thought now and and that study and and let's look at um, transitioning and planning for that day, which you know you don't want to think about the day that you're going to be done with competitive uh, competitive athletics, whether it be at the end of college or the end of a pro career and that sort of thing. Um, what advice, because you went through it, what advice would you give athletes, you know, at the college level and even at the pro level right now that are still playing, still in competitive athletics, um, to how to set themselves up and and how you kind of did it uh, to have success after athletics? So I'm starting with the example and then give the advice. Um, the example is at Florida Enemy University, all four of my roommates, we all went to NFL. Um, and so here's the advice. You are the sum of the five people you spend your time with. Um, and you hit on a behavioral economics concept, prospect theory. In a positive territory, incremental gains with everything's risk averse. But losses, right, people are risk-seeking, so I mean losses hurt worse. So that's why in that study, only a 15% increase of performance on the positive side, but that negative was double that. And so the truth of the matter is really watch who you associate with. If someone's values don't align with you, if you don't, if you don't see them going where you want to go, you got to get away from it. Because at the end of the day, their beliefs, their talking, their thinking is going to limit what's possible for you. However, at FAMU, myself, Brian Timms, Brandon Hepburn, we all went to the league. Brian went first. Um, he was older than us by a year. He went um, undrafted to the 49ers. We played a long career with the Patriots. So we, before we brought in a new roommate, we were like, hey, we got to think about who's going to get this third spot because we can't just bring anyone in who's going to be around us. And so Hepburn and I then, John Ojo came in. Um, so in 2013, Ojo got hurt. I've seen yes, we got to play another year. I went to the Arizona Cardinals. Hepburn got drafted to the Lions. The next year, Ojo came out, went to the Jets. And this is from HBCU. One house produced literally four NFL athletes. And it's because we work out together at the house. Let's say we're playing video games. We're like push-up time. We start doing push-ups in the middle of games. 2 a.m., you could catch us at the field working out. And it's because of that level of accountability we pulled each other up. And then I had all the nerd grades. So it was like, hey, you can't be in this house and just not, you know, get by. So now I was like, you know, we got to study. Bad out here getting A's in biochemistry. I can't go fail sociology. So it was like, who you associate with is so crucial. And I would say from that, you'll find the opportunities. Because typically high-performing people will always be high-performing people if they realize they're just a high performer and not an athlete. 
And, and so I think my next advice out of that, out of who you associate with, Ryan, would be to see yourself as just a, that, a performer, that entrepreneur that we spoke on before. Because once you do that, at any point when you transition out of the game, it's not so painful. What happens to a lot of athletes is we tie this identity to ourselves of I'm an athlete. We've been judged our lives as an athlete. And, and change those little parts. We, we, growing up where I'm from, if you're from North Florida, South Georgia, we are a football hotbed. We're a small area. We really should be like our own state for real. But we're a very small area that is football rich. And when you start becoming the top athlete and we have so many football lovers here, it can almost screw your head up with how they talk to you. And it's not unfair to the people. It's just, it's just our culture. So now what ends up happening is everyone judges you this way, calls you this way. And if it doesn't work out, they always say, well, what happened? What did you do wrong? Well, it's just a numbers game. Maybe somebody didn't do nothing wrong. But if you're 18 to 24 trying to process that, that's hard to do. And so some people end up going into depression and other things they got to deal with because now once they leave the game, the thing that gave them value back home just left. So the quickest way I would say to overcome that is to realize you're not just an athlete, gentlemen and ladies. You're an entrepreneur. You're a performer. You're just taking one skill set and applying it to a very niche market, but it can be applied anywhere else. Um, the power of discipline, the power of repetition. If you think about practice, all practice is, is repetition. I go to practice and then, like, for example, there you go. Football teaches the ultimate form of consulting. Um, and, and this is how I consult with our clients. It's the same kind of science. So if I think about going to, let's say, practice, um, they don't just throw you out there in scrimmage. They warm you up. They have individual drills. They then combine various segments to work things together to see how it works together. Then they bring together the larger segment, a.k.a. defensive offense, and then you scrimmage. So, for example, if I'm coaching an advisor or any business, I can't just try to think I'm going to go out and perform. That's too daunting. You warm up. You start practicing little skill sets. You combine those skill sets. You work them together. See how the language that you need to speak kind of, you know, coordinates or the physical if you work with your hands. And then you chunk and you build it together. And then you bring the whole thing together. If you're working with a client, it's the exact same thing. If I'm going to stress test a strategy, let's look at the individuals. Let's bring them together. How do they integrate? Okay, great. It's going to be a great strategy. And then now from a consulting standpoint, all season, personnel time. Who are we as a team? We need to, you know, work out, test 40s, test bench tests, see what we have, who we are. Now let's figure out, okay, who are we? Now we have spring ball. A nice little analysis to figure out who are we. Okay, you know what? We're not as good as we thought we are. Summer practice. Summer, personnel again. From there, we develop a game plan, a strategy that we stress test it in training camp or in the offseason or, or our preseason. And now once we stress test it, analyze it, then we send it off into the season. So me understanding that, I applied it to wealth management. I never jumped to a solution. We start with personnel for so long. By the time we get to strategy, I know what needs to be done because it's now their solution, not just my solution. And if people could just realize that athletics and sports taught us that much and applied it, man, we wouldn't see a lot of the issues and crime and different things and suicides with athletes coming out of it because now we're not trying to figure out how do we make the next step. We've already been taught the next step. It's just now reapplying what you learn. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, as all three of us here are, are former athletes, which, you know, learn that 
we learned that on our own, right? We discovered that on our uh, on our own. Yeah. Um, 